Let's take your Bibles this morning. We're going to look in the book of Judges. That's always fun. Turn into the book of Judges. I'm on page 322 in my Bible. Whatever that looks like for you. In other words, it's early on. Judges chapter 6. I want to talk just a little bit this morning about um, our struggle or our fight for significance. And I'm going to use the life of Gideon. Um, This chapter 6, 7, and into 8 are all about the story of Gideon and his life. I'm sure you guys have heard the story of Gideon before, right? Every good Sunday school class will have this one in there, and it's a great story. Um, In a lot of ways, I can identify with this dude as an Old Testament character. Um... Because I, I want my life to end different than his did, most certainly. And we're going to discover what that looks like. Because I want to finish well. I want to end really well in my life. But I'm starting to recognize that as much as we go after identity here, we talked about it last week, identity is so critically important. It's, it's critically important to this life that we live here on this planet. Because if we don't know who we are, we're going to live as somebody else. And just understand that all the enemy wants to do is to try to convince you of something other than what God has already said about who you are. And that's what he's going to do. And he's going to keep doing it over and over and over again. And if he can get you to believe the lie, then you've empowered him. And now he can walk away and leave you alone. He doesn't have to torment you anymore. You'll self-destruct. So identity is so critically, critically important to the life of a believer and knowing who we are. If you don't believe me, look in Luke chapter 3 and in chapter 4 where Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Father says right then and right there, he says, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And immediately after that, that's when the Holy Spirit descended on him, and immediately after that, the Spirit led him into the wilderness, and then Satan comes and tempts him. What is the first thing Satan says when he tempts him? If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. The temptation was not to turn the stones to bread. The temptation was to get him to question if he was really the son of God. Because he knew he was the son of God, he didn't have to buy the bait. You with me? He didn't have to give, I can do this. I can prove to you I can do this. That's what lack of identity will do. It will say, I can prove that I can do this. And we've got to be careful because if we're, if we, we can even be duped into thinking that we're walking in true identity... And say things like, I can do this because i got the power of God inside of me. Where you're making an argument for something that you don't even need to be saying. Is this making sense? Yes. What I'm saying. Being careful because if, not, if we don't know who we are in our identity, we'll start striving for significance in some other area of our life. Yeah. And it's this constant battle that we're facing. We're striving for significance. And if we strive for significance outside of understanding our identity in Christ, we will do things like even what we're doing with you know, ripple effect and what... Um, Jillian's doing with the moon circles. We have to be careful. We'll find some kind of identity in that. So I want to keep this ever present in front of us that our identity is settled in this one thing when God, who God says we are and we live from that one thing right there. That's why it's important for us to recognize I'm a saint, not a sinner. I am the righteousness of Christ. I have been given everything that I need for life and godliness, Right? That I'm seated with him in heavenly places. You hear me talk about these things all the time. But it's not just something that we just go, I'm going to hold on to that and claim it. That's good. But man, you've got to get a revelation from Jesus, hearing him, what they're talking about, so that it settles in. And it's not just head knowledge, it's heart conviction. 
And when the heart operates out of its conviction, that's where life is lived. And when it's got the settled confidence of the word of God settled inside the heart and we live from that right there, then it changes everything. And if it doesn't, then we try to strive, even if we know what truth may be, but it's in our head, we try to strive and live out of that place we call identity and we're just looking for significance. This is what happened with Gideon. That's why I'm going to go through this story. I'm not going to read the entire thing because it's really long, but I'm going to take some pieces of this thing and we're just going to look at it a little bit as we go. So Judges chapter 6. Give you a little background on it. Uh, The Midianites um, are just wreaking havoc all over the people of Israel. And so God chooses to send judges. And these judges step up for these appointed tasks in order to address the problem that's happening with their oppressors. In this particular case, it's the Midianites. And the reason why the Midianites are coming up against them is because they had walked away from the Lord and the Lord handed them over to them. They had walked away, so the Lord handed them over. And so here they are, full of fear. They're being beat up. They're being tortured. They're having all their goods, their cattle, their food, their children. Everything's being taken away from them, and they're just completely tormented by the Midianites. And this is what happens with the story of Gideon. Look in verse 9. I'm just going to take pieces of this out. You can go back and read all of it later. Um, Verse 9 and 10. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Fear, I'm going to address the fear issue right here, because this is where it started. They got in fear for what they had seen in the land. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You can have the miraculous, wonderful move of God that brings you into your promised land of some level, in some way, and then you see what it takes to walk out from that point on, and you start getting in fear going, I can't do this. Fear is not good. Everybody say with me, fear bad, bad. love good. good. Right. Because fear can only have influence on anything love hasn't touched. Because perfect love casts out fear. So if there's fear in our life over anything, just recognize it's the absence of love influencing it at that point. Hello? Fear infects worship. It's not good. Fear, bad. Love, good. Fear infects even our worship. Why? It redirects it. Because the awareness in our mind is on something we're fearful of, and when we worship it, we're redirecting what needs to be going to the Lord, and we're putting the focus on something else. Incredibly dangerous. It infects devotion to God. Um, Let me put it into a practical. Uh, Money is a very practical example of this. If you get in fear of your finances, then the first thing you do is you stop directing it to the right place, which is giving. Giving. We don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. We get to. It's not a have to anything. People have even asked me that before. Andrew, do I have to give? No, you get to. They've even asked me before, do I have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? No, you don't have to. You get to. You don't have to do anything. You get to do whatever. But there's freedom. But what happens is if we get in fear, we redirect our worship. And giving is part of it. This is not a message on giving, but I'm using this as an example. You'll redirect what needs to be going somewhere else because of fear. I'm just using something that speaks to all of us, right? Because we'll do that with money. And what do we do when we do that? We start to give it a life of its own. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and money. 
and he refers to it as mammon. Mammon is not money. Mammon is money personified. You've given it a life of its own, and it's got its own characteristics. It's got its own things. This has got its own affection. It's got what it can get for you. Is this making sense? What, that's what we do. If, if fear comes in, and if it infects worship, and giving is a part of worship. Now, I know that it's much broader than this, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but you guys can do the math on it. It makes sense. When it gets in, it starts to redirect what we should be doing and giving our attention, our devotion to the Lord. It redirects it in another area. Look over here at verse 11. This is what happened. Now, the angel of the Lord, everybody say the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, not Oprah. Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Don't you love that? If you can picture this for a minute, there's a wine press. And instead of pressing wine, he's threshing wheat in it. Why? He's trying to hide. He's trying to hide. It's, I can just picture it in my mind. You know, this is one of those things, you know, whenever we get to heaven and we can get into the Blu-ray library, I want to get into it and I want to see these things. But I have a picture of it in my mind that he's gathered all this wheat and he's in this giant wine press with these walls around it to hold the wine when it's pressed. And he's like threshing the wheat and he's looking up, looking for Midianites and he's back down again and he's looking up. And here the Lord, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, you mighty man of valor. Come on, this really speaks to the identity thing because here he is doing something that is contrary to his identity and he doesn't even know it. The angel of the Lord shows, shows up and says, you mighty man of valor. I love how the Lord sees us for who we are, not for what we're doing. Come on, this is a good word. I love the fact that he sees us for who we are and not for what we're doing. Because if he saw us for what we're doing, we can see ourselves for what we're doing. Anybody clear on that? I can, I can see myself according to what I'm doing all day long. I'm so glad that when he sees me, he sees me for who I am and not according to what I'm doing. And if we learn to hear his voice, we will hear him. He can show up and he can say, you mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon didn't quite get it. But as I'm growing in the Lord, the more I hear things like that, the more it's like a snap. Come on, get out of that thing and get back to what, who you are. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he sees me for who I am and not according to what I do. Verse 12 and 13. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Good word, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. He obviously, with such a quick response, he had something on his mind. He's in the wine press, threshing the wheat, thinking this thought right here, where's God? Where's God in the middle of all of this? Where is he? Where's the God that we got told about by our fathers? Where is he now? God, oftentimes, if we don't have our mind set in the right position, God oftentimes will get blamed for the tragedy that happens around us. And that's exactly what's happening here. He's starting to get blamed. God is getting blamed for the tragedy that happens around us. Isn't this interesting? I always find this incredibly interesting in the world. When somebody will say, whether agnostic, atheist, or whatever, anybody who like, does not want to have anything to do with God will say, well, if God is so good, how come bad things happen to good people? I think that is just amazing to think that you will never acknowledge him except for when something goes bad and you put that characteristic on him. But you can't acknowledge when something goes good. 
So if good things happen to bad and good people, how do you acknowledge that one? You see what I'm saying? Just turning it around a little bit. But his mind is so set on where is it? Where is God? All this stuff. Why, where's the God that was our forefathers? All that they talked about, the miracles, the signs and the wonders. Where is he? He's got his mind set on that. So with a quick response, man, I just, I'm learning from this to be careful when I hear the Lord speaking to me that I don't go back into what I'm thinking and I'd be very careful to stop what I'm thinking and go, okay, what are you thinking? What are you thinking at this moment? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Well, the word is really clear that God did not forsake them. They forsook him. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. <laughs> he, God didn't even argue with him. He poses the question, Where is this? Where, where are you in all of this? It's like he just looks at him and says, Go in this might of yours. I'm not going to even acknowledge that you brought that up. Go in this might of yours. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I love it. It's, a, it's God's non-response to Gideon. It's just a commission. I'm not going to respond to that, but I'm going to commission you to something. Verse 15 there, he's still seeing through the natural. How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest. You see he's doing, he's, he's reverting back to seeing things through the natural. When he's got who standing in front of him? I had you say it. The angel of the Lord. Guys, it's, it's good to understand that whenever you see in Old Testament writings, whenever you see the angel of the Lord, that is Christ pre-incarnate. Why is that important? Because it's Jesus showing up on the scene, calling out his destiny right in front of him, and he can't even tell. He's so caught up in what he sees in the natural. I don't want us to be a people. I don't want to be a person like that. If Jesus shows up and he looks at me and he speaks to me, I don't want my mind to drift back into natural things. Remember, Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, right? Not on things on the earth. Why? You died. This thing that you live here on the earth, there's nothing really to it in the natural. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when he shows up on the scene and he speaks a word to you, whether it be about the right now or it be about the future, it's like he's showing up with a picture and he's holding it right in front of you and saying, look at this. I want you to see what I see. I want you to see what I see. Don't refer, revert back to something that you've seen in the natural. This won't work. Verse 17. Then he said to them, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who talk to me. Oh my gosh. Now I know we can laugh at this because we're looking back, right? We're looking back on this. But before we start laughing too hard, let's recognize we do things like this. We do it. And we've got Holy Spirit in us. Oh boy, Philip Bunny Path coming on here. <laughs> Look, 17 again. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that this is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I'll wait until you come back. Verse 19. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, lay them on the rock, and pour out the broth, and he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. (laughs) Pretty convincing truth, right? Wait a minute. Aren't we living stones? And if the angel of the Lord touches us, what happens? Doesn't fire come out? Oh, okay, just a thought there. Verse 22. I'm going on here. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Big duh! (laughs) Do you think, Gomer? So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not, what? Fear. Fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it's still an Ophrah of the Abizrites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. Cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. Don't you love that? Oh man, there's a good story in that. The very thing that is idolatry gets turned into wood to fire the thing that's holy. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too... Too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was an altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image was there beside it, was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him plead for himself because, he is an alt- because his altar has been torn down. I love this. When we are obedient to the Lord in what he says to do, even if there's still fear inside of it, what they were saying earlier about even if you have fear, just go. Even if there's fear inside of it, a little amount of courage will change the atmosphere around you. That amount of courage for him to tear down the altar, make the sacrifice on his father's place, right? It changed his whole, his father's entire attitude. Then he comes out and he says, I see what happened here, and I don't know what the heck's going on here, but I'm telling you this, if that God Baal is so great, then make him believe for himself. Let him defend himself. That wasn't him trying to defend Gideon. I believe he got, a, he got inspiration from the Lord, that when a little bit of courage shows up from a believer who hears the Lord, it causes people to see the truth. A little bit of courage that shows up in a believer will cause people to see the truth. Look down at verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That's a good one. How many of you want the Spirit of the Lord to come on you like this, right? I know this is Old Covenant, but listen, we've got this thing. 
I want the Spirit of the Lord to manifest on me. It says here, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. You talk about going from nothingness to all of a sudden you're this major leader, right? It was the little act of courage, even in the middle of fear, that caused the atmosphere to shift enough to when he blows the trumpet or when he says, everybody get behind me, everybody gets behind him. I love this. I love this story. It's so encouraging to see all this, but I want to keep taking it through here. That, that phrase there that, that says the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, it literally would be translated like this. The spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. The spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Come, come on. Think about this for a minute. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you. He's chosen to clothe himself with you. That's a good word. It's like he's saying, come here, boobay, I want to put you on like a glove. Let me just put my hand inside of you. Because I put my hand inside of you, you'll be able to do things that you can't even comprehend. The Spirit of the Lord clothed himself, wore Gideon like a glove. Look at verse 36. You guys still with me, right? So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put out a fleece on wool on the threshing floor, and if there is dew on the fleece only and and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early in the morning and he squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but um, let let me speak to you just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry, only on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Let me submit something to you guys. We're talking about an old covenant dude. All right? If we in the new covenant have the spirit always on us, correct? Then why do we do things like that? I hear believers do this all the time. I'm going to put out a fleece. Okay. I don't see that God was really applauding him for doing that. I think he was, yeah, he was tolerating it. Yeah, I'll do it. Gideon had such a lack of this identity with the angel of the Lord showing up and saying, you mighty man of valor, that he kept slipping out of it and trying to prove who God was by getting him to act. Guys, let's not do things like this. Let's not do things as new covenant believers saying, well, I'm going to put a fleece out. You don't see anything like that in the New Testament. You don't see anything like it. As a matter of fact, the last time you see anything like that was in Acts chapter 1, and it was right before the Holy Spirit was given. And they had to replace Judas, and it says that they drew straws, they drew lots. You never see that again from that point on. When Holy Spirit gets given, you never see that from that on. What you do see is it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Is this making sense? Let's stop putting fleeces out. Let's start learning what it means to be obedient when the Lord says something and we just go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm not saying be willy-nilly with this when you get a word from the Lord. Get counsel. I'm saying that. But I'm also saying, listen, guys, don't put the fleece thing out. That is so immature. And there's no, there's no chance for growth in that. Hello? There's no chance for growth in that. If you're saying to God, I want you to prove everything in order for me to go do it, then there's never any growth of your faith inside of it. Because if you have it proven to you that this is what you're supposed to do, there's no faith. 
It's when you don't know and you step out anyway is where the faith gets actuated. That's so important for us to learn that. I still have believers doing things like the he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me doing the flower thing, you know, whatever. Or, you know, if I, if I count to 10 and, and whatever, you know what I'm talking about. All this weird, it's, it's mystic mumbo jumbo stuff. Let's not live like that. Let's live according to what the word of the Lord says. Don't put circumstances in place of proving God. Because you can do that and you can get yourself answered in a way that may not be that healthy. You can say, this is what God is saying based on circumstance. Hello. Remember what Ezekiel 4, I've got a bunny path going on here. Ezekiel 14 talks about this. We have to be careful. God comes to the prophet Ezekiel and says, these people have set up idols in their heart, Ezekiel, and they come to inquire of me. Should I even let them inquire of me? And before Ezekiel answers, he goes, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll let them come to me, but I'm going to answer them according to those idols. So everyone who sets up an idol in his cart and then comes to inquire of me of the Lord, I'm going to answer him according to that idol. You can look at it. It's Ezekiel 14. I'm going to answer him according to that idol. See, there's a big difference in hearing God say, this is what I want you to do, and hearing God say, do you want to do that? Go do it. Because you can set up the idol, the filter, and say, the fleece, and you can say, well, if God, if you do this, then this, then you're setting up this filter, and God's like, well, you know, I'm telling you what I'm telling, I've already told you. But if you want to subject it to circumstance in this natural world, then you're going to get an answer. But I'm just saying, it may not be me talking to you in that. Hello. We have spirit inside of us. Let's learn to be obedient. It's not obedience to just trying to live a life that has good character in it. It's obedience to faith, and your character gets developed out of that. Come on, that was a good word right there. Your character is developed out of learning how to live in obedience to faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything comes down to faith. If it's not a faith, it's sin. Everything comes down to that. Do I believe what he's saying? If you're having a hard time hearing what the Lord is saying, then do what we're supposed to do. Get to another trusted believer. Get near them and say, this is what I think the Lord's saying. Come on, help me with this. Because we know in part, we prophesy in part, right? We need help. We need to understand this. But listen, we slip into these things because we don't know who we are. Look over at chapter 7, verse 3. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart. He had gathered all these people. I'm giving you a little background. He gathered all these people to go to battle against the Midianites. But the Lord begins to speak to him. And now that he's got all these people and he's feeling a little more confident in himself, God comes along and says, I've got to have some of them leave you now. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of all the people, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once. Thousand 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Okay, two-thirds of your army just took off. But the Lord said to Gideon, verse 4, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever, whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the num- number to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Now, I've heard multiple different interpretations of what this is about. But I, and, I, and I like this. One of them that I've heard before, and I like this. He said, God was really trying to weed out the people who weren't alert, 
who weren't paying attention because one, of them, one group got down and they put their face in the water. The other ones were like looking around and putting their hand up, being alert. God says, take those right there. They're the ones that are paying attention. <laughs> Look over verse 10. So he ends up with his 300 people. But he says in verse 10, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. Now, here he is. Gideon's freaked out at this point. I've had 33,000, 32,000. I ended up with 300. I ended up with a very small percentage of the people, and I'm still scared that you're going to do this. And God says, listen, if you're still afraid, go down to the enemy's camp. Now, that's a weird command, isn't it? Why? I believe all of this has to do with Gideon not getting his understanding on who his identity is. Now, let's don't fault him too much, because remember, you know, he still didn't understand what's going on. God had to send him down to the enemy's camp to hear what they were saying in order to convince him. You guys know what happens. He gets down into the enemy's camp. Some guy has this dream about this loaf of barley bread tumbling down in, and he's, and some other, and, you know, that's a weird dream, right? A, a loaf of barley bread tumbles down into the camp, and it kills everybody. And the, and the obvious interpretation was, that's the sword of Gideon. That's the enemy interpreting the dream. It took him going to the enemy and hearing the fear of the enemy and what God had already orchestrated so that he would understand, man, this thing really is already done. That's weird, isn't it? You have to go to the enemy's camp to hear what God is saying. I don't think that's God's intention. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this lack of identity and understanding will force us to look and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. So God says, okay, go down to the enemy's camp. That'll convince you. Look at verse 17. This is the interpretation. I'm sorry, verse 14. This is the interpretation. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Judah, a man of Israel, into whose hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. The enemy gets to speak that to him. It's amazing. Look over at verse 17. He had already given him, sorry, verse 16. He'd already given him some direction. He says, Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. So you've got a, three companies now of 100 men each. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand, empty pitchers, and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. At some point, he's starting to get this. Even after all that, he's starting to get it. And he's basically saying, Okay, there's something going on inside. If I just be obedient to this thing, if you guys do what I do, everything's going to work out fine. Man, that's, that should be the first place we end up, right there. Look over to chapter 28 now. We know what happens. Everybody's destroyed. I mean, he wins the battle. It's amazing. It's so wonderful. In chapter 8, look all the way down to verse 22. Chapter 8, yes. I can't go through all that for the sake of time. Chapter 8. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. That's a good word. But Gideon still doesn't have this thing settled on what God has done, what he's called him to be. He knows because of this, that he's, nobody's supposed to let me rule. They want to set up a monarchy at that point. They had it in their heart to do it anyway. We understand that. They had it in their heart to set up a monarchy, and God ultimately condescends and gives it to them through Saul. But he knows this is not what God has intended. Verse 
Gideon passed the test of not taking God's place, but he still wanted some level of recognition. And here's where the striving for significance is so important that if we don't understand who we are, we're going to try to get it filled somewhere else. Striving for significance in any way, in any form, guys, is revealing a lack of identity. Anybody who has to give their spiritual resume to somebody, you know what I mean by that. Well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. You know, it really shows an incredible lack of identity. If somebody has to read me their spiritual resume and what they've done, it shows a lack of identity. You're looking for significance somewhere. Who cares about that? I really don't care. I want to see what, what's going on inside of you and let that continue to be manifested. It's like, it's like when I was in music school, um, I was in commercial music program taking classes from, you know, some wonderful teachers. But I had one teacher who was actually still in the field doing it. One. He was the best teacher. He was the absolute leaps and bounds beyond anyone else. He was the best teacher. Why? Because he was still doing it. Everybody else was talking about what they did 20 years ago. You hear what I'm saying? The best Christian is not the one that comes in and says, let me tell you what I did 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. It's the one who comes in and says, this is what's going on right now. Look in verse 27 here. Let me back up a little bit. Verse 24. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from the plunder, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, We will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from the plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. That turns out to be about 75 pounds. Now think about that. I don't know what gold is worth per ounce right now, but do the math on that. That's a lot of money. 73, 74 pounds of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments, pennants, and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around the camel's neck, then Gideon made it into an ephod. An ephod was a garment of worship to hear the Lord. That's why David would call for it. Give me the ephod. Why? It was something that had to do with getting close to the Lord. He starts to take all this gold and he makes an ephod out of it. And he set it up in the city of Ophrah and all Israel played the harlot with it there. Began to worship it. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Why? He's looking for significance. He wanted to be remembered. It was the first test, fine. Yeah, I'm not going to lord over you, but I do want to have something everybody will remember me by. You guys feeling me this morning? Verse 30, 28. Then Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more and the country was quiet for 40 years in the day of Gideon. 29. Then Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dealt, dwelt in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. 70 sons. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Josiah, his father, in Ophrah of the Abizarites. So it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children again, listen, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Bareth their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God. Why did they not remember the Lord their God? Because it was set up that they would remember Gideon. And as soon as Gideon's gone, there's a vacuum. 
Now what do we do? The reason why people go back to doing what they've done before in the absence of people who have influenced them is usually because they've turned that person into something instead of God. And when that person's not there, then what do they do? They've got nothing else to go back to doing the very thing they've done before. Why? They know the way there. It's easy to get there. I know exactly what to do. In the absence of any kind of real God presence, this is what I go back to. When the facade was gone, this is the important part, guys. When the facade was gone, the next generation went back to what they knew. I don't want my life and my understanding of my identity in Christ just to be about me getting through life here and going, I just, you know, I want it to be great here and know my identity. I know that's so important, but it goes so much deeper than that. If we don't know who our identity is, we're going to leave a generation behind us looking for God. Because my identity is not about me being all good and wonderful on this planet right now. It's about me revealing something to a generation beyond me that that when they start to see that, that long after I'm gone, what they're left with is who Jesus is. Why am I saying all this? Because you know me. I'm all about identity. But our identity is not just so that we can have some good, wonderful thing going on right here. That's the byproduct of all of it. It's the byproduct. Our lives are meant to be a marker where we reveal Jesus to such a degree that the young people, that our children that come up behind us look at it and say, only God can do that. So if I, in my lack of identity and knowing who I am and start striving for some kind of significance, I'll end up leaving an ephod made out of gold for my children and they'll look at it and go, that's great, that's my dad's, that's wonderful. And then when dad's gone, they go, what do we do now? I don't want to see that happen. We have a responsibility. We've talked about it before in January when we were going through all of our values. Generational ministry is so important. It's so important. What Andy was talking about with what we're doing with our children, it's not just about teaching them Bible stories. It's about getting in there and saying, let's all be quiet for a minute and let's see what God shows you. Listen. And then having those little tiny hands draw pictures of what God's speaking to them. It's beautiful. We teach Bible stories, but it's beyond that. I want something to be left for them, so that when they see us leaving, that they see God still present. Amen? Amen. If we're striving, and ultimately I'll say this at the end, if we're striving for any kind of significance, just recognize there's a lack of understanding of your identity. Because someone who really knows who they are doesn't have to do anything. They just are doing who they are, being who they are, and all of a sudden God just begins to show up inside of them. I want to be like that. Everybody stand up with me here. The downside too, it goes on to say, I didn't finish it, but the downside too is it says that they forgot Gideon and they were no longer kind to his household. Wow. They're no longer kind to his household. Is this helpful to you this morning? I want it to provoke us a little bit. I want it to stir us a little bit so that we understand that our identity, we've got to have it settled. We've got to know this. And if you don't know who you are, then come on, let's get around some people who can help do that. We've got plenty here that can help get around and understand who you are. But at the same time, don't be too short-sighted. Think beyond. What's the generation after us going to be left with? Is it going to be an ephod or is it going to be the face of the Lord? Father, help us with this. Lord, only by your spirit can, can we really understand what this means, Lord, because we know your word, the word of God, it's spirit and it's life, so even my words can't do it. But Lord, I'm just praying, even as we read it and we speak it, that it challenges us deep inside to recognize where are the deficits where we're striving, fighting for significance. We're battling for significance in our life, Lord. 
So, Father, the answer is found in the presence of you. Even Gideon got that, built the altar and said, you're a God of peace. Lord, let that be the thing that we understand, that you're a God of peace. That we don't have to strive or fight for anything. That our identity is settled in the finished work of the cross, the person of Jesus, our faith and our belief in him, and out of that flows life. So let striving end, let all that stuff in, Lord, so that what we leave is a legacy that has your name all over it, that has your face all over it, and we're a people that can, with the other saints in heaven, just look down and say, yes, yes, Lord. Let them keep running. Keep running the race. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.